This is the Man Up Podcast, the doctor's guide to men's health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask, we have the answers. This week, our episode is titled, Don't Sleep On It, What You Need to Know About Snoring and Sleep Apnea. I'm Dr. Kevin Chun. I'm joined us as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. How's everything going, Justin? It's good, man. We just finished No Shave November. I just shaved today, literally oh. t- 10 minutes. You look beautiful. Be- ah, beautiful, ugly. I don't know. This beautiful. thing needs to come off ASAP. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's something. I think I could grow that in about six hours. Look, I literally shaved. And <laughs> I think I have just as much as you. <laughs> but uh, it was a good month. Um, we helped bring awareness to uh, a lot of men's health issues, so that was fun. Yeah, and uh, also happening this week in Miami is our Basel. And I saw some of the photos that you had last night from uh, the Sex Museum. Looked awesome, huh? Oh, it was fun. They had an event uh, a couple of days ago that I got to go to. I have, I've done a couple of events with them in the past, uh, and it's the largest – this is in Miami. Um, it's the largest private-owned erotic art collection, I think, in the world. Wow. And uh, so they just put uh, – they just they just reopened since COVID. It was their grand reopening during Art Basel, yeah. which is one of the biggest art events. And it's probably in the country, maybe second in the world to the regular Basel in, right, yeah. in France. But um, yeah, they have this new piece. It's the uh, Wall of Vaginas. It's called the Great Wall I of saw, Vaginas. I saw your photo. <laughs> yeah. And so basically they took like a lot of... Uh, they casted like four. So these are real vaginas. vaginas. These are real vaginas. Real vaginas. Real vaginas, they cast it. The artist did a, a casting mold of 400 or 399 women's vaginas. He did one twice, I think. And uh, it's pretty cool. Like, and there's a lot of really interesting art. And listen, we like to think that people were prude back in the day, but I will tell you, looking at those pictures <laughs> of like 3,000 years ago, it's a lot of, a lot of sucking. <laughs> <buggings>. <laughs> So yeah, if you have the opportunity, go check it out. That's what I'm saying. I know there's a there's a, a I think the biggest public erotic art I think is in Mexico, maybe. But gotcha. Mexico City. Wait, and this this is not like a permanent installation here at Miami, right? They, they it's a museum, but then they brought some art at the same time, right? I would say eighty five percent of the stuff I saw was permanent. Wow. The, okay. The Very cool. the Great Wall of Vagina is going to be there for three years, so it's going to be there for a while. Oh, so that's the title, um, the Great Wall of Vaginas. I think it's that's what it's like. I'm air quoting here for the <laughs> listeners. I think that's what it's like called. Okay. Um, but actually, they changed it to Great Wall of Vulva because it's technically not the vagina. Oh well. Just to be technical about right, it, but, right? Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, I think it's really cool, really fun stuff. Um, very on brand for me on brand for you so awesome well that was i mean the pictures look like it was a great time and a lot of good art out there um but hey look our episode this week is a bit different you know a little bit different i think it's on a topic that's very important though very important and that's that's snoring and uh, we're joined by our good friend dr andrew rivera who's in ent uh, private physician down in the South Florida area, but I thought it was a great topic and you know it was an enjoyable conversation, right, Justin? Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't know. Do you snore? Um, I forgot. We were talking about this during the thing. But I think I like 
very occasionally snore, I've been told, but I'm not like a like a constant snore or like an every night kind of snore. How about you? I don't think I snore. I don't think I snore, but I'm sure I have snored at some point. You know, I don't think yeah. I'm like a hundred percent not snore. Kind of like I, actually, you, you know what? Actually, you know, we have shared a room at a few conferences and I think I can recollect right. There might have been a night where you snored, but then the other night, I don't think you did. <laughs> and I mean, and he talks about it, it can kind of, there's a couple of situations right. maybe where you are snoring more or you're not yeah. snoring. Yeah. Um, but it's very interesting because like you said, you know, a lot of people just live their lives. A lot of guys just live their lives like, oh, I snore, I'm a snorer or whatever. But there's a lot of potential implications of snoring and there's a lot of things that should be considered potentially or or reasons you should go see your doctor and i don't know many people who go see a doctor for snoring but maybe we do have a bias but it sounds like people do yeah you know it well you know look snoring is not just going to bother potentially your partner that's in bed you know there's more deeper right. medical implications and so it warrants you to go see a doctor but you can listen to this episode you can hear all the things that could possibly happen and uh, I think you kind of kind of change a perspective on what snoring can be a sign of. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, I definitely learned a lot because I only thought like there's so many things that can cause snoring. And there's so many like I was like blown away by that alone. Right. And there's so many things they can do for snoring, which is also very, very interesting. But I know that um, definitely this changed how I ask my patients in my office. I ask them how if they're snoring. Uh, you know, I often with their urinary issues, with their testosterone levels. Right. We, we do get into that here. Um, so these are all. If you're talking about men's health, it's very interesting that snoring can be a very big impact factor in men's health, and that's something that you know you just didn't connect, or most people don't connect together. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that. I'm I myself am, am learning as, you know, we record all these different episodes with different specialists, but the body is truly connected. All right. So as a guy, I know, you know, some of the things we mainly think about are our erections, you know, making sure that's good, but Hey, all this stuff is tied in together. So maybe you're snoring, maybe fixing that could help your erections. Maybe, maybe that's a big stretch, but right. no, testosterone level. <laughs> Yes, there's a lot, there's a lot of things to consider. So you're right. Like, once again, it comes down to this idea that sexual health is health. Right. And, you know, it is such a good, you know, bar barometer for other aspects of your life that, and it can be reflected in even snoring. And as we learned today, so I say, let's get into it, right, Kev? Let's, let, let's just learn about snoring because I think we're going to be putting these people to sleep if we don't, we don't get to that segment too. But they may be snoring after uh, this long <laughs> intro. Absolutely. Let's jump right on in. All right. So we are joined by Dr. Rivera, one of our friends uh, and a, a really great ENT in the South Florida area. Uh, so let's, let's just jump right into the first question, Dr. Rivera. Let's just start with snoring. I know snoring is, for our listeners, probably something that a lot of them have thought about or have to deal with. Uh, so, you know, what is the medical definition of snoring? Uh, snoring is simply uh, defined as making excess noise while sleeping, uh, which is not necessarily a medical problem, but basically people get concerned 
when while sleeping, instead of breathing quietly and normally, they generate a lot of excess noise. All right. So I, I think I snore. I occasionally snore. I don't know. Kevin, do you snore? Uh, I've been told that I, I do make some excess noise at night while I'm sleeping. So. <laughs> well, there's different kinds of noises, but, uh, uh, anyway, so, you know, obviously I have two questions really. So we have people that are snoring. I'm in one of them. How many, how often, how common is snoring? And also, um, you know, what causes people to snore? Yeah, so snoring is extremely common. We see it all the time. I'd say on a normal clinic day, I talk to people about snoring five to 10 times a day. Wow. Um, the cause of snoring is that airflow is not smooth or laminar. So when someone breathes, air has to pass through their nose or through their mouth, right, to reach their lungs. And so if along that pathway, either through the nose or through the mouth, that pathway is narrow or obstructed or closes, then the airflow is not smooth, it becomes turbulent and it generates mm. noise. And then the other thing that will generate noise is actually tissues collapsing and air squeezing through them, which can happen at the back of the throat. So it simply just indicates that there's an obstruction in the pathway of airflow somewhere within the head and neck. A lot of physics. Mm -hmm. So 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 let's, let me just make sure I get that right. So it's basically either a narrowing or turbulent flow really that's causing this excess noise. Um, that's correct, right? Yes, or that the tissues, like for example, tissue in the back of the throat, like yeah. the tongue or the palate, yeah. is completely closed and gotcha. air forces its way through and makes the sound of snoring. Gotcha. Now, look, I, I bet you these are one of the anecdotes that you get, but you know, snoring, it can be very loud, which means that if you have a partner, it could be very difficult for them to sleep. So I would actually, you know, uh, you know, well, me and Justin were kind of talking and brainstorming this episode. Uh, I bet you you see a lot of guys come in for snoring because they were told by their partners that it's very loud. Is that true? Yeah, most people are completely unaware that they snore. It's brought to their attention by the people that they live with, the people that they're in a relationship with. Uh, and very often people come to the clinic. And when I say, hey, what brings you here today? They point to the corner where their spouse or their girlfriend <laughs> or their boyfriend is. And they go, they want me here because they cannot sleep. I'm making too much noise where they might actually be oblivious to it and have no symptoms whatsoever. That'd be very different from someone that snores, snores so loudly or has other symptoms that wakes them up. That's a different story. Wow. So have you actually heard or it sounds like you've seen snoring that's been so loud that's actually caused relationship issues between guys and their partners and and how like is that so it sounds like that's one of the main reasons and, and you're coming in to fix it right because this yeah. is a major relationship issue yeah it's actually an extremely common encounter that someone will come in and say doc you are my last hope my girlfriend is sick of me. My boyfriend is sick of me. Uh, they've got, they're, they're sleeping in a different room. It's really mm. put a strain. They will often say, I didn't used to do this when we first were dating. This is like, is it a new thing? Um, and I need some kind of solution because it's really straining our relationship. So before I even get into medical workup and strategies and things to do, I give them all a piece of advice that they think is me joking. And I say, look, before we get into it and talk about what's causing it and what we can do, the very first thing that you should purchase upon leaving here 
is a pair of noise canceling earbuds, either Bose <laughs> or AirPod Pros, and give it to your significant other as a gift. Because if they turn those on and it emits those sound canceling waves and you're snoring right next to them, your relationship is now saved until we address the <laughs> problem. Dude, we're, we're about to get sponsored. Let's get sponsored by, you should be sponsored by all noise canceling headphones. You know? yeah, it's, a good, it's a great piece of advice. This is another case use for this. You know, most people are like, oh, use it for the airplane, but now for, you know, partners who snore. Um, <laughs> I, I actually wanted to follow up to that because I think you brought up an interesting point. It's where people started off in a relationship normal and then at some point they start snoring. So it's not one of those things because I never thought about it that way. It's not one of those things where, you know, you're a born, a born snorer or you're not a born snorer. There are situational things that as you progress through life, you can become a snorer. Is that true? Yeah. So the main thing that's going to change over a long and often happy relationship is weight gain. People mm. often gain weight very slowly throughout their lives, eating the same amount that they would normally eat if they're net positive slowly but surely over many years. They've been together with someone for 10 years. Now they got kids and they're not going to the gym as much. They gain weight. Weight gain is one of the most common causes of increased collapse and in snoring. So that would be the most obvious one. And then there's a couple of others. You know, there can be changes in the strength or the tone of the muscles in the back of the throat. There can be changes, worsening allergies that stuff up the nose. So there's a lot of people that will come in and say, look, I never used to snore and I'm snoring now. And if you say, well, when you first you know, met your significant other, how much did you weigh? How much did you weigh now? You know, you moved to a new city. Now you're having new allergies. Your nose is more stuffy now. There's a lot of things that can change over time that reduce the airflow while you're sleeping at night. So that, 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 that's actually very interesting because so you're basically saying so some of these lifestyle changes or behavioral changes that you've done, such as gaining weight because you, you've had a worse diet, causes some snoring. Is there any like possibility like that snoring is a sign of a medical problem though? Like the other way around that, like, you know, you're snoring, then you got some sort of like, it's like a hidden medical issue that's just kind of a sign of. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, when someone comes in and they talk to me about snoring, all of those lifestyle things immediately take the back burner until we figure out whether or not they have a much more serious medical issue called sleep apnea. Mm. So a lot of people that snore it's not simply that the person next to them is hearing loud noise. It's that no air is getting through, that no oxygen is flowing to their brain, and they actually are physically completely obstructing. And if you were to measure it, they would pass several seconds without any airflow at all. That would be called an apnea. And you have to determine whether or not someone who comes into you for snoring has sleep apnea because untreated sleep apnea reduces the length of your life. It essentially slowly is killing you, and if not addressed, is a very long-term uh, debilitating health problem that affects the heart and lungs in a very negative way. That's pretty interesting and actually very scary. Um, so we know now, <laughs> it's legitimately just scary, right? Like, I mean, so we know now that, you know, sleep apnea, which, you know, it's funny because you hear so many guys, you know, you're at, you're talking to parents, whatever. They're like, oh, I got the sleep apnea. And they just blow it off like it's nothing. But you're telling us this is not a game. It's taking um, some years off your life, you know? Yeah, it's literally taking years off your life. But just to go back so that we're not scaring people, I want to clarify something. 
if I snore, it doesn't necessarily mean I have sleep apnea, but sleep, a sign of sleep apnea is snoring. Is that correct? Correct. What would, what would tell someone who's worried about snoring, who's worried about upsetting their significant other, that maybe they should be worried about sleep apnea is if they go to sleep and when they wake up the following day, they don't feel like they got restful sleep. They don't feel rejuvenated at the end of the night. They wake up repeatedly feeling short of breath. And big signs would be that they're sleepy throughout the day in a setting where normally you shouldn't be, right? So worst case scenario, someone who's not getting restful sleep and obstructing a ton, they're going to be dozing off throughout the day. They're going to be dozing off at a red light. They're going to not be able to stay awake during any movie. They're not going to be able to do anything sedentary without passing out. Someone who comes in and they tell you, look, apparently I'm snoring. Everyone's upset about it, but I feel like a million bucks. I have an incredible amount of energy. I'm going to the gym. I don't feel tired at all. That's likely someone who simply just has primary snoring and they're not actually obstructing in a way that's a problem for their health. That's, that's a great, that's a Kevin, great point. I think, it, I think it sounds like we all have sleep apnea because yeah. that's like the signs of residency and being a doctor. Well, well, that's one of the hard things to do because one of the first things you have to ask people is, do you feel tired? But people have a hundred other reasons to feel tired, right? right? right people right, are right. working hard. People are staying up late. They have kids or whatever. So they go, of course I feel tired. My life is hard. My life is difficult. But just because you feel tired doesn't mean you doze off at a red light. It doesn't so mean a, that you're passing out in the middle of your work. So that's an important distinction because I, I'll tell you what, I, I know that's why Justin brought that comment up because when you were describing that first part, I started thinking like, yo, I got to go get, I got to go see you, Dr. Rivera. You know, I got, I got to get, exactly. Exactly. I got, I got sleep. Exactly. Apnea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so, so for our listeners, who, who is at risk for having sleep apnea? So like, you know, who, who is, is there a specific part of the population? Well, so interestingly, the sleep apnea, while you would anticipate, it would be someone who's simply morbidly obese and -hmm. constantly tired all the time or whatever. It actually doesn't have a generalized appearance. There are people that are extremely skinny and fit and just their anatomy, the position of their jaw, the, the, the way that their tongue and palate are positioned, big tonsils, things that are completely out of their control can make them at risk for sleep apnea. Technically, anyone could have it, but the, the signs would be coming in, snoring, waking up, short of breath, gasping for air, feeling extremely fatigued throughout the day. And then the person who should start worrying about it, say someone's in like their middle age, right? Someone's been snoring. They're not really worried about it, but now they're developing other issues. Now, all of a sudden they have high blood pressure that they never had, mm. right? Now, all of a sudden they have an arrhythmia. Sometimes new heart problems are from this constant strain at night to breathe. And rather than actually taking cardiac medicine, if you treated the sleep apnea, a lot of these problems would go away. So I would say you should look out for it if you feel like you're overweight or have gained weight, if you feel unusually fatigued to the point you can't get through the day, or if you're starting to have new cardiovascular problems that you didn't have before that could be tied into this lack of sleep. So that kind of just leads directly into the next question. And, and you've been kind of touching on it is, you know, what, how does, how does sleep apnea impact my overall health? You, you kind of touched on heart, sleep. What else is like, wh- how, how does it do it? What, what yeah. So the first, the first thing, and we say like, oh, we don't want to scare anybody. The reality is 
to an extent, you have to scare people about sleep apnea right. because people think of sleep apnea as like, oh, I'm noisy, I snore, what? It's one of my, it's one of the things about me. But when you tell someone, if you look at a survival curve, and untreated sleep apnea is slowly but surely reducing the length of your life and making you more likely to get in a car accident and making you more likely to have heart problems. That's wow. when people start paying attention. That's yeah. when they schedule a sleep study. And that's when they actually say, okay, I'm going to use whatever treatment is recommended for me. So as far as the impact on your life, you have to basically explain to people that it's killing them if it's untreated, right? So that's when people start to get serious about actually managing it and realize, uh oh, this is a problem. Yeah, let me get that uh, test for it. Gotcha. You know, on a tangent, complete tangent, and, uh, you know, Justin, I, you can chi chime in on this. You know, Dr. Rivera, you're talking about how people are feeling tired. They're probably not getting like good, you know, good oxygenation at night. But, you know, from our perspective in the men's health side, uh, Justin, I see it. Red but actually, one of the things that's related is, you know, your testosterone level, which you have low testosterone level, you're probably going to be a little tired. Actually, there's been a connection to sleep apnea, actually. That's one of the things that we actually recommend that you get worked up for. And, you know, some people may say low testosterone may have an impact on your, you know, overall quality of life. So uh, just something. It's uh, a great point. And, and, and it really makes sense the more you think about the physiology, yeah. because we do know that less sleep equals lower testosterone levels. So right. if you have sleep apnea, obviously you're not sleeping at all. You just said it, you're not well rested. You're gonna have lower energy. Your testosterone is probably gonna be lower. So, you know, for guys who are trying to get to the gym, you're not sleeping well, your testosterone levels are lower. This is something that you wanna go get worked up because, you know, it can help you on so many different levels. One of the, one of the, and there's an entire list of symptoms that people who are experiencing sleep apnea will come in with because those episodes of obstruction take a toll on their body. So air can't get through. They, they, they breathe with their mouth open. So they'll come in, they'll say they have dry mouth. The air can't get through. Everything's tight and inflamed. They complain of headaches. But then another very common thing is actually decreased libido, which can be tied yeah. into that low testosterone, yeah. that lack of energy. Um, you know, it, it, we see it more in kids, but some people end up like w wetting the bed, you know, when they're obstructing and they like lose control in that way. We see that a lot more as like a sign in the pediatric population. Um, but for sure, testosterone, decreased energy, headaches, just depression, decreased libido are all kind of signs that something else much more serious is going on. You're right. And then we also associate it with nocturia, which is waking up at night. Like you said, you said right, wetting the right. bed. And that's often because, like you said, your blood pressure can go higher. What happens when you're sleeping? Your body wants to get rid of the, the, the extra fluid, the high blood pressure. So you're actually, your body is kind of trying to get rid of the fluid. So you're waking up more. You're, you're trying to, you're peeing more. Absolutely. So guys also aren't sleeping because they can't breathe, but also because they're waking up to piss all the time. So it totally makes sense. And, and for guys who want to be more like a guy, maybe the pitch is really like, you know, man up and not for a better word, but you know, man up and go see, see your ENT doctor for your OSA. Dr. Rivera you know? in South Florida, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, okay. So, so let, let's, why don't we, let's go to, you know, all right. So may, I, I'm worried, you know, I got all these symptoms. I, I think I may have sleep apnea. How do you, how do you diagnose? How do you like find out you truly have sleep apnea? Is there a test? 
you know, something that, yeah. you know, something I do. Yeah. So traditionally you would get what's called a sleep study, which the best sleep study is done in a lab. Uh, and this changed a lot with the pandemic <sighs> before you order a sleep study, someone gets scheduled, they go to a sleep lab, which a lot of people are not thrilled to do because a lot of times people are comfortable sleeping only in their own home. And then in a lab, you get all of these uh, leads and monitors put on you that measure your everything, your oxygen, your respiratory rate, all these different uh, parameters. And then a technician is making sure that it's a good quality study. And if it's a really good test and they already throughout the night confirm you have sleep apnea, then they start to test whether or not they can treat it by using a special mask called CPAP, which we'll probably talk about. But now, after pandemic, there's been a shift toward people wanting to avoid facilities, right? People don't want to go to yeah. the hospital. People don't want yeah. to go to the hospital uh, or, or any facilities. So uh, instead now, much simpler, they've come up with very decent home sleep studies where they send the equipment to your house. And now technology has things that are so really small. Better. Yeah. And so you put the, the equipment on you. And it measures all of these parameters while you sleep in your own home. So it's more comfortable. However, there's the, the caveat is that there's not a technician monitoring you, right? Because if your dog jumps on you in the middle of the night, that's going to be recorded as an event, right? As <laughs> some sort of disruption in your sleep. Whereas a lab technician can delete that and say, oh, that was the dog, right? So there, it won't be as accurate. But now, as far as the practice of sleep apnea, it's completely adequate to at least kind of give you a broad screening of whether or not yeah, there's any obstruction at all tool, or right? how, or totally. how severe it is. Yeah. I think that's totally, totally reasonable. It just sounds more convenient. You're probably getting more people diagnosed because they, they're willing to do that test is my assumption. The hard, the hard thing now, the hard thing now is most people don't know where to go. Who do they talk to snoring about? Uh, not many primary care physicians are going to order a sleep study then they'll send them to a pulmonologist. A pulmonologist will order it, but a pulmonologist is not equipped to do procedures or interventions. They can simply monitor CPAP. So a lot of people don't realize you could go to an ENT to have this addressed either medically or surgically. I think that's such an important point because when me and Justin were talking about this episode, we were like, does Dr. Rivera, does he cover this? You know, but you know, I, that's, yeah, yeah, know. we didn't know. And I think this is great yeah. information for our listeners to know that, look, if you if this is something that needs further workup, it's really an ENT doctor that is really going to be able to take the next steps and do the appropriate things for your care. And that takes us to the next question. So I'm diagnosed with, with uh, sleep apnea. What are ways that we can treat it? What? How do I get better? Yeah, so first, sleep apnea is going to be ranked on a degree of severity, right? So there are some people that have mild sleep apnea. They're, you're given a score that indicates how many times in an hour you obstruct. If someone's score is very mild, then they might address their sleep apnea simply by losing a little bit of weight, simply by sleeping with their head of bed elevated and sleeping on their side because the worst position for obstruction and snoring is sleeping facing up, mouth up. Gotcha. Okay. Gravity drags everything back and collapses it. So Say someone has mild sleep apnea, they're not necessarily ready to start using a CPAP or a positive pressure mask or even consider surgery. You say, look, lose a couple of pounds. Even small amounts of weight loss can make a big difference in degree of obstruction. Sleep on your side, elevate your head to bed, 
And then you want to avoid things that are going to increase the chance of obstruction. Most common would be drinking alcohol or taking sedatives gonna, before I, going I, to it bed. It's definitely going to be alcohol. I mean, right. 100% yeah, because alcohol and sedatives and things that people take for anxiety relax the tone of all of the mm. muscles and everything in the throat. So someone who doesn't snore, if they're out with their friends and, and they crash on their buddy's couch, they're going to say, dude, you were snoring last night. And, and it's just because the alcohol relaxed really everything and it was the way that they were positioned so does it get so from, louder the more drunk you get I'm just <laughs> wondering. yeah the more obstruction definitely yeah so just as a summary there so it sounds like very mild you know the good news is you can potentially really change it with lifestyle modifications you don't have to take medications you don't have to use instruments or tools or surgery and that's kind of like a lot of things that you know we deal with people don't want to hear it sometimes they just want to take a medicine but why take a medicine why do some intervention where you can just change a little bit of tweaking in your life and you'll but be wait, 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 wait. wait wait but but all right so you, you you tell a patient you're like hey you know don't sleep on your back how do you how do you control that like is there a way i don't know like Sleep well, on your stomach. It's, it's, they, they, you they, start off by sleeping no, on your stomach, but you're on your back. By the middle of the night, oh, that's you know? a good point. That's a good point. So it's funny you should say that because people try to come up with over-the-counter measures and devices all the time to control these things. And they've actually tried to develop a pillow that if you start snoring or obstructing, changes your position. So people wow. are more likely to start snoring or obstructing when they're face up. So then the pillow would like alert them or try and oh, so push them to the side. Now, in some sort. This has never, <laughs> this has never panned out in literature just yet, but you get, you're absolutely right. There's no way to know that you're going to stay in the proper position all night. So unless they were to lose that weight and tell you that they feel better and then you repeat a sleep study and now they're no longer obstructing, gotcha. you don't really know if they still have apnea or not. Now, if you have someone that has moderate or severe sleep apnea, those lifestyle changes are not going to make a difference for them. Like At weight all. loss. So you can't go from moderate to mild. Well, it, it will help, but you would still need treatment because if you leave someone with any sleep apnea at all, technically they're slowly dying, right? It's reducing okay. the, the length of your life. So you have to do something for them. And the correct answer, the standard of care is to wear a CPAP mask. Now, as far as like helping your relationship, having to put on a CPAP at night next to your significant other who's annoyed by the noise you're making, that's a challenge too because yeah. young, healthy people, they don't like the idea, especially even single men, right? A single guy gets told he has sleep apnea, so now he's got to go on dates and a girl comes back to his apartment for the first time after things have been going well, and then he's got to plug into this machine like Darth Vader and then, all right, good night, babe. You know, she's gonna get confused. Like a lot of people don't want this. So does it does it though, make a lot of noise? The CPAP machine does it make a lot of noise? Or like each, I each patients new, always say they're like, I don't want to wear it. It's not comfortable. I stay awake wearing it. Yeah. So the new each new generation that comes out makes less and less and less noise. And the current machines that are out now are really silent. They're extremely compact and portable. People travel with them. Part of the reason I know this, both of my parents have started using this. Oh, oh wow. It cured, my, it cured my mother's 
blood pressure, uh, high blood pressure. She's sleeping amazing, you know, and I actually used to hear the two of them snoring and it sounded like an engine room in there. (laughs) And, and it wasn't even me that suggested it. Their doctor got them worked up for it. And I actually see firsthand the difference that this device has made. And it's quiet, it's silent, it's very compact and portable. Now, doesn't matter. There are patients who want nothing to do with it. And no matter what they try, they say, no, I can't sleep that way. And there's different things you can try and tell them. You can try to use the one that only plugs to the nose. Uh, You can try to do procedures to help them use it. But someone who doesn't want to use the machine, you'll never convince them to do so. And that's someone who's going to look at the other options to try and avoid using the device. But the device is the standard of care. If you use it every night for several hours per night, you're effectively cured. Even if you never lost any weight or anything, but you use that machine every night, your sleep apnea is cured. It has to be every night. Is there like, because like, I'm sure people compromise. They're like, oh, you know, I wear it like four out of the seven days of the week. Is that doing anything or, you know, it's really all or nothing? I mean, obviously not, you're going to tell us it's all or nothing because you want no, everyone to wear it every day. It's not, it's not all or nothing, but good compliance. You're looking, you're trying to get people to use it at least four to five days a week, four to five hours a night, which would be ballpark. Because think about that, of all the time that you spent sleeping, if you can get the majority of it with them not obstructing, they're overall going to be much better than if they're choking and gasping. And the reality is someone's using it that much, when they don't use it, they're going to see the difference. And they're going to realize, hey, keeping this thing on, I'm sleeping through the night and I'm feeling much better. The people that actually learn to use it their quality of life dramatically improves. They see what it's like to have restorative sleep, which they hadn't had in years. So you you, you touched on it a little earlier. I, th- I think you just kind of mentioned, you said there are other options though, right? There. Are, so what are yeah. these other options? Because like, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like to, to, to wear this mask all the time sounds kind of terrible to me. So, you know, yeah. if there Traveling is a, it, stuff like right. that, yeah. is there, if there is a surgical option, I mean, you know, what, what are these options? Yeah, so there are several options actually. So that's entirely dependent on your exam. So when someone comes in and they have a mild or a moderate sleep apnea and you're trying to provide them an option to cure the problem, Mm -hmm. you look inside their nose, you look inside their mouth and throat and you assess where the obstruction is going to be. Because first, say for example, breathing through your nose, a lot of people, the space through which they breathe is very narrow. But those people are also going to come in and say, baseline, I don't breathe that well through my nose. Baseline, I feel pretty stuffy. And when I lie down at night, it gets even worse, right? Those people are going to have a deviated septum. Mm -hmm. They're going to have big folds of tissue in their nose called turbinates. And if you were to straighten that and shrink those turbinates and now they breathe better through their nose, that could take off a lot of the obstruction that they were dealing with. Other people, you look in their throat, they have huge tonsils or their uvula, their palate really hangs low and is really floppy. And if you were to remove those tonsils and tighten up that palate, you've eliminated that layer of obstruction, right? And then some people have a really big base of tongue that collapses to the back when they when they sleep. You can have that addressed. So there's multiple levels where the airway could be improved with the goal of even curing the sleep apnea. But if someone's sleep apnea is completely off the Richter scale, very, very severe, I could from top to bottom open up their airway yeah, and they might still have some degree of obstruction, 
But imagine that you had severe sleep apnea, that degree of obstruction, and then you put a CPAP on. It'd be impossible because you're trying to blow air through that really narrow passage. So there's still something to be gained by opening up that whole airway. Now when they put on a CPAP mask, there's less resistance. They tolerate it better. So you can either cure it or facilitate the use of the CPAP. Interesting. That's fascinating. It's really really interesting because I've never thought – of sleeping and breathing at any other level other than just lungs. So it's really cool to hear how many yeah. levels, you know, you, you can really impact uh, the breathing process. And um, just to, yeah, I was just going to add one more thing, which is like the, the new kind of wave that a lot of people are interested in now. People that hated using a CPAP uh, um, have this new option called Inspire where similar to a pacemaker, they implant an electrode into the tongue and then a device on the chest picks up when you breathe in and it stimulates your tongue to move forward so that you don't obstruct. So you turn it on it. You turn it on at night. You essentially become bionic, right? Because now you have this (laughs) device. You're like a robot, dude. That's crazy. And then instead of using a CPAP mask, you have a remote, you turn it on, and at night, every time you're about to obstruct, it stimulates your tongue to move forward. That's crazy. So the techni- I yeah, don't the technology, like that technology. That scares me, man. It's going to be able to just control your speaking soon. What that, what that should tell you, <laughs> what that should tell you is the length to which people are willing to go to avoid yeah. using a CPAP mask. They're willing that's, to undergo major amazing. surgery and get implanted with an electrode that moves their tongue at night rather than uh, wear a CPAP mask. That's unbelievable. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's very cool. It's I think we're we'll gonna try wild. YouTube that a little later on and see what that looks like. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Wait, so you said we so can you use said, that technology for other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, so you were saying like on every level, you you try to open it up, right? Whether it's the turbinates or a little bit further down. So you know, a lot of these things they sell at CVS, and at, you know, I say because I've seen yeah. them, and I I personally bought them these breathe right strips, these nasal strips, and you put them right here. And in my head, from what I've learned in medical school, I feel like that does kind of try to enlarge the turbinates maybe. Right. Or like, so do these work or are these just a waste of money? No. So, so breathe right strips are addressing a very specific problem called nasal valve collapse. So the nasal valve, when people breathe in, some people, when they breathe in, you can see that the tissue of the nose collapses uh, inward right. and that's because it's so it's so narrow related to their septum and turbinate that the yeah. lateral nasal wall collapses in uh, breathe right okay. strips are trying to keep that open uh, however okay. if someone has a super deviated septum and huge turbinates a breathe right strip's not going to do so much yeah, someone yeah. who actually gets benefit from breathe right strips would also benefit from surgeries that are meant to open those things up but you know you offer that to people say hey if you want to avoid surgery you try breathe right strips. And then the other very widely used thing would be oral appliances that people wear like mouth guards that are meant to keep things open. Interesting. So um, I'm trying to figure out if, so deviated septum, you do the surgery, um, the strips, what about like just snoring in general? Can that stop the, the snoring? Or is, is there any other things you can do? Forget about sleep apnea. We talked about like lifestyle. We talked about drinking. What other things can make snoring louder 
or more quiet. And does the nasal strips have anything to do with that? Yeah, it can, it can address it. As far as snoring, usually when it comes to primary snoring, that's not a health problem. You want to try everything possible medically and conservatively before doing an intervention because the surgeries and the treatments are really meant to improve your quality of life. But the, ch- the chance that you continue to snore at some other level still exists, right? So I have plenty of people that they come in specifically because they have a stuffy nose. They don't come in for snoring. You fix their septum, you fix their turbulence. They say, hey, I'm breathing better. And hey, as a bonus, I snore less. Like snoring wasn't their primary issue. Right. But then you have other people that come and say, hey, I'm snoring and I feel stuffy. They don't have sleep apnea. You fix their nose. It's wide open. And they say, but I still snore. And now you realize that in that person, they're snoring in the level of their throat, where their palate is or where their tonsils are. So if you want to eliminate snoring, you'd first have to try and figure out what level it's going to be based on their exam. And the surgery is not definitively going to eliminate snoring. But what will happen, say you fix someone's nose, which is a much easier procedure to recover from than throat surgery, and they still snore a little. Now with the oral appliance, they might do okay, like a snore guard or an oral right. appliance, and they breathe better and their quality of life's better with their breathing of their nose. Um, there are also interventions done in the office under local anesthesia that can create a little bit more room. You can shrink the nasal turbinates in the office under local without anesthesia. You can attempt to tighten the palate. There's all these procedures that are done in the office under local that are meant to help with snoring that are not as invasive as surgery done in the OR because surgery in general, you reserve for someone that has obstructive sleep apnea or already came in saying, Hey, I want to breathe better through my nose. I want my septum fixed anyway. Makes sense. It's very interesting. All very, all very fascinating because like, you know, you, you think of like, you know, I I think, you know, people just like, oh, you snore, and you just kind of like leave it off as that. You know, you're, you're, you're snoring and all that stuff. But then when you start really digging into it, digging into sleep apnea and all that stuff, this is something that you shouldn't just take so lightly. You know, I think that's one of the messages you really take. Like, you're snoring, you, you really should try to get it worked up to make sure there's nothing much more worse going on. And I think it really harps on the value of sleep, right? Because this is what we're getting back. It's not only your sleep, it's your partner's sleep, right? Because it's sometimes <laughs> your partner's lack yeah. of sleep. That's actually bringing bringing you in there. So so it's everyone's sleep is benefited by treating snoring, by treating sleep apnea. Yeah. And I also didn't know, and Kevin didn't know who's treating it. So we also learned that today. So Dr. Rivera, really, Dr. Rivera, we got ENTs treating that. And uh, I thought this was a very valuable lesson. But uh, one final thing, you know, is there anything that guys you think really need to know? Is there something that we missed? Or a final message for guys out there listening to this um, who uh, you think need to know something else about snoring or sleep apnea? No, I mean, I think we touched upon all the points. I think that uh, the biggest take-home point is that, yeah, snoring is annoying for those people around you, but it could be a sign of something much more worse for your overall well-being. And if you were to uncover underlying problems that are correctable and can be addressed, you might not even realize what a dramatic impact that would have, maybe not on the length of your life or even the quality of your life. You might be able to get through the day much easier because now you're going to get rejuvenating sleep. 
simply by just sleeping on your side more or losing five to 10 pounds or even having like a small office procedure or something. I think that uh, if someone points out to you, hey, you're snoring, it should be taken seriously and it should be worked up. And it might just be noisy breathing that you address conservatively. But if it's something more significant, there's plenty of things that can be done about it. That's awesome. I mean, I think just, I think really when you, it's one of those few things where, you know, Kevin and I are surgeons and professionals that we often focus on quality of life. Um, Obviously some things can do quantity, can impact quantity, but sleep, snoring, OSA, that impacts both. Like we learned that today, right? Quality. You want to live a better life. You want to live a longer life. These are things that you need to get looked at. So I think on that, let's wrap it up. Uh, Dr. Rivera, where can uh, our listeners find you? Because this was really great and really insightful, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of patients. So tell mm-hmm. us where our listeners can can find you. Oh, well, I practice in uh, Miami, Florida. Oh, I'm at South Florida ENT. We work at seven different locations down here in Miami Beach, uh, all the way down to Homestead. And so they can contact our office uh, anytime, and we're happy to work them up and Tell them to go get uh, noise-canceling headphones for their significant <laughs> other uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty. Awesome. That's great. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, as always, to our listeners for uh, listening to the episode. Um, as always, find us online. You can find us on any podcasting platform, iTunes, Spotify. Download, subscribe, give us a review, five stars. Uh, also YouTube, we're trying to push YouTube. It's, we, we're recording the video, so make sure you're subscribing on YouTube, commenting, liking, and viewing there as well. You can find all of these podcasts and all other information on our website as well. Kevin, what's our site? Our website is www.themanuppod.com. That's right. You can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, The Man Up Pod. Uh, you can follow any questions, comments. You can always contact Kevin or I on our uh, social media platforms at Kevin QMD, at Justin Dubin MD. Uh, for Kevin and I and Dr. Rivera, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one, guys. Bye.